Hello, and welcome to Culture Dumps. I'm Ryan Lichten. And I'm Parks Miller. Today's dump is one of the ones that we've had since the beginning. It is what comes to most people's minds when we describe what Culture Dumps is, you know, uh, and kind of like our mission statement. It's also one that a lot of people send in as, as a request. And so because of all of that, it's going to be the longest that we've done so far. It's uh, It deserves it. I feel like, yeah, th- three parts. Ideally, ideally. Who knows? maybe a fourth. <laughs> I, yeah, I, ideally, you I just would, keep digging up more stuff about it. Yeah, I would really so. like to not uh, have this go past uh, three, but right. If we do, then we do. So today, this is part one of Beanie Babies, and we originally were just going to do the Princess Diana Beanie Baby, but. The whole story of Ty Inc. and Beanie Babies is so crazy and involved that we decided to go all in on this topic. And I just want to do a quick shout out to Zach Bisonette, who was the author of The Great Beanie Baby Bubble, which was our main source of material for this episode and and the following episodes it's an insane book covers the whole beanie baby saga from start to finish more shit in that book than you would have liked to know or have ever known but once it's in your head you can't let it go so shout out to to zach for writing this incredible book but also you know there's tons of articles about this stuff that we looked into uh lots of videos there's lots of stuff out there about beanie babies but the one thing that's always left out i've now found is the story about it's the founder and the creator of Beanie Babies. And that's really where the meat of this is and why it's a dump. But besides the crazy stuff involving the owner, which we're going to obviously get into, Beanie Babies is a perfect culture dump because it was one of the biggest toy crazes of all time. It created like an economic bubble that burst and put a lot of people into sore spots financially and also made a lot of people super rich. It's kind of, um, it, it has this whole aura of, toys being a long-term investment rather than something to play with. It's one of the first internet crazes. Uh, eBay has its roots in Beanie Babies. It has like a man in the tower like creator and lots of weird mysterious stuff surrounding them. Kind of like how we framed uh, Michael Lang and John Cher in the beginning of Podcast 99. But this is so much crazier. Um, I had a lot of Beanie Babies. Did you have a lot of Beanie Babies? I I had a couple and I certainly did. Yeah, I was just part of the trend, so I had a couple because they were cute, but definitely did not get into the financial investment racket of it all. Right. Uh, as a as a young kid, um, and I think that that's part of why I was like, I don't even. I just remember it being this toy I had, but this whole stuff that you're like uncovering, as far as like the way it was really kind of driven in this kind of hype market and right. rarity and scarcity. That's what's really interesting about it. Um, so no, really not a huge Beanie Baby person. Um, but yeah, I wanted to say this is kind of like a, it's kind of like NFTs are right now. Like it, I just hundred like percent, dude, like I was just going to say it's like just, Bitcoin, like paying, but even, but Bitcoin's one thing, but I feel like NFTs, like this whole idea of just like paying like hundreds of thousands of dollars for like this shitty, like Microsoft <laughs> word art yeah, for a GIF. Yeah. It, just because it's literally like someone told you that it's worth money. Like that's kind of like, instead of that, like stupid cat, it's like a stuffed animal. Yes, it, it, exactly. It's, 
completely like that. It, and, you know, and there's a lot of different, you know, kind of uh, cryptocurrencies and stuff coming out now. And a lot of people are confused, like, what really is the worth of some of this stuff? And will it pay off in the end? And, um, you know, it, it's it's, you know, creating a bubble, you know, and uh, right. to those of us that do this kind of research and to things like, for instance, like the dot com boom and, and things like that, it's like you can see the makings of a bubble when a bubble is being made. And uh, there's a bubble being made with all that stuff, folks. So just right. be careful. It's, <laughs> right. It's it's when once everybody starts talking about it, that's when you know it's a bubble. And then it's because that at that point, it's kind of already too late. But it's still going to exist as a thing that can money can be made. But it's kind of like once everyone knows, you're sort of like, oh, I, I'll just buy in too, and it'll hopefully, you know, cash out. But really, it's like you can make money, and people did make money on Beanie Babies, but they had to have been a much earlier in the process. Ground floor, and then also seeing that it's a bubble, knowing it's a bubble. And knowing that the highs aren't going to, it's not going to keep going on like this forever. And you got to get out when the getting's good. Right. And that's kind of the funny thing now with Beanie Babies is, you know, if you have like a Princess Diana Beanie Baby, which, you know, was super sought after and was worth all this money at the time. Like right now, folks, they're worth shit. Like Beanie Babies, really. I mean, unless yeah, like, you find the person trying to find that Beanie Baby, it's shit. And the whole thing was that, you know, th these things were only so valuable for this short amount of time because it was at the time they were happening. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like right. the, the lesson to be learned with Beanie Babies is, folks, if you have kids and there's like a huge craze like Pokemon cards or or whatever, get in while the getting's good and then sell all that shit right then because it'll never yeah. be more popular than it is at the moment that you're hearing about it. It's like, exactly. no, you know, no one with a, a collection of Beanie Babies is sitting on a gold mine anymore. But at one time, they absolutely would have been sitting on a gold mine. But before... We go into all that. And again, folks, this story is incredibly complicated to tell. It's, it's a lot of moving parts in this. Uh, we're going to be jumping back and forth through a period of years, a short amount of years, but we're going to you know, be going back and forth. But before we get into the Beanie Babies themselves, we have to get in to Ty Warner, the Beanie Baby Baron. He's the creator of Beanie Babies here. So Ty Warner was born September 3rd, 1944. He's the founder of Ty Incorporated and the creator of Beanie Babies. Now in the ranks with some of the world's wealthiest people, Ty began his journey to the top of the plush toy mountain several years before the creation of his signature product. Born to a traveling toy salesman father and a later diagnosed paranoid schizophrenic mother, childhood was not easy for Ty and his sister. His father worked for Dokken, the world's leading plush toy company, and was away on business far more than he was at home. Ty's mother would act erratically off and on his whole life, and there were times where Ty's father Harold would come home and his wife Georgia would demand that he whip the children with his belt for one reason or another, and in an attempt to quell her temper and her outburst of anger, he would oblige. Then there was other times where Ty's sister would wake up in the middle of the night to find her mother standing over her with a kitchen knife. Uh, terrifying. Jesus, that is, that's like... <laughs> That's like shit in the movies. Like that's so fucking crazy. Yes. And again, it's when you when you're thinking of this story, you're thinking of this little heart shaped tag and these little things. And it like there's so much in this story that is uh, doesn't fit so into the beanie mold. So maybe like something just throwing it out there early. It's like the unhappy home. And then this guy, Ty Warner, like devotes his life to this toy, which kind of is like very much relates to childhood 
at least right. in the outward presentation of what a beanie baby is. Right. And also there's the aspect, again, that his dad worked for the world's leading stuffed animal company, you know, so he grew up with this, you know, and his dad, mm. I mean, it's not like they, they, they weren't necessarily rich, but they weren't doing bad at all. His dad made quite a bit of money. But again, it's it's all this thing. And, you know, Sigmund Freud had this whole uh, study of stuffed animals and like comfort blankets. And these toys are a way of children to feel like they're in control. Like they they have something that's just theirs. It exists in their world solely. And that's kind of the special thing with stuffed animals, because since they're soft, they provide an actual physical sense of comfort and that all that's going into to this background story mm -hmm. of, of Ty. So he was an average student in school with little to no ambition that his friends could remember. Ty eventually moved to California after dropping out of college to pursue a career in acting. Finding no success in showbiz, Ty got a job as a traveling camera salesman. His father, unimpressed by his son's career path, suggested he work with him at the world's leading plush toy company, Dakin. Now, this is where, right off the bat, this is where the story starts kind of falling apart here. So Ty, by the way, he was named after Ty Cobb, a, you know, immensely famous baseball player with a horrible reputation of being a meanie and a racist and all this stuff. Um, his right. full name was actually H. Ty Warner. The H, get this, doesn't stand for anything. His mom, again, <laughs> later diagnosed paranoid schizophrenic, not necessarily... Uh, you know, working at full speed, uh, you know, in her mind, just thought that the H just made the name look better. And I guess in a way it does, but it's literally just H. Like that's, that's really a, some like old school sounding some shit like H. Ty. H. Ty Cobb. Yeah, it, it doesn't. I mean, yeah, he's not named after Harold, his dad, which that which would make tons of sense. It's just think an H. There has, there has to be some connection between the H and the Harold. They could apparently they have been it, talking about it like, <laughs> well, he's H and you're Harold. And he's like, yeah, that's no, no relation. Weird. Believe it or not. But uh, so for years now, and I mean, this is still the tale. Like if you were to look at, um, say, like Thai Incorporated's like website or any official like Thai press release about their founder, the story of him getting to work for Dakin is this. The CEO of Dakin was Harry Nazamian. OK, and Thai said that while he was selling vacuum cleaners, keep in mind, he, he wasn't a vacuum cleaner salesman he was selling cameras but he said that he was in a this affluent neighborhood and being the ambitious salesman he was when people would open their door he would throw like a cup of dirt on their carpet and then he would oh i'm sorry about that here let me use this and he would use the vacuum <laughs> classic and i guess he he said that he did that at harry nazamian's house and the guy was so impressed that he's like hey you should come and work for me at my company as a salesman you're so good oh it's weird your dad happens to work there but no he was failing as a camera salesman after failing as an actor so he got a job as a sub rep underneath his father at this company right but so then you're you've, you're creating a myth yes you know it sounds better it's than like oh i was selling here. vacuums and then i just happened to knock on this guy's door and he just happened to love me my yes. charisma my sales pitch so he said hey do you want a job kind of thing exactly the, and you know building a myth the, the power of the myth that that's actually the title of a book the power of the myth it's i believe it's written by joseph campbell or is it something campbell but um it, they explain you know the power of spoken word and all that stuff and and you know well, yeah. why when someone dies at the height of their career it's you know makes them more famous than they would have been had they right. gotten the extra 20 years all, all that kind of stuff and i mean that's a huge business model and, and a huge business tool like for instance ebay the guy 
guy that founded it. He was just trying to find a way to balance the collector's market and make it like just a more streamlined market in the early days of internet shopping. But what his reps and PR people came up with was that his fiance had a big collection of Pez dispensers and she was trying to find a way to sell them. So he created this website to help his fiance. It's all bullshit. Um, right. But again, one, it goes one to just the sounds better and more interesting. Yeah. One makes you yeah, sound think, like a nice guy. Yeah. I think, yeah, Joseph Campbell, I know he. Did the hero he the hero of a thousand faces and kind of the hero's journey and it's kind of like that's the goes into the myth of just like exactly making making it seem like you were somehow like destined to do what you're doing yes you know yes it, exactly which I mean he was and ultimately he was oh completely I, I mean don't get you me might wrong. as well fold yeah. into it a little bit and just make it sound a little prettier right it, exactly and no one even gives a fucking shit about how you grew up. They care about your product and the fucking money. But anyways, Dakin's plush toy sales exploded throughout the 1960s and 70s as licensing deals with the company allowed them to create toys based on beloved film and television characters. Ty quickly established himself as the top salesman and soon was out earning not only the entire sales team, but the CEO of the company himself. He earned a reputation within the company as a great salesman, but a shitty person to work with. He was often overly flirtatious with any woman he met uh, in the job, like at his office, in public, or otherwise, and he was completely uninterested in developing friendships with his male coworkers. One of his ex-colleagues even claimed that he only cared about, quote, work and pussy in that order. So <laughs> this driving force. Capitalism. Of, yeah. And again, it's, it's funny like, to think like the 1970s, like toy salesman, like getting pussy. <laughs> you know? I just I imagine him like just hunched over a desk at like 1130, like smoke ripping cigs, just like got to move these giraffes. Yeah, you know? e exactly. All this stuff. Well, you know, in, in the 70s and in, in the late 60s, once this especially in the 70s, once the licensing stuff really kicked into play. Um, their biggest seller for a long time was those plush Garfields with the suction cups that you see in cars. Oh, that was right, like their right. huge fucking top selling thing. Sucks. That's just yeah, that just seems like almost like a 70s like suction cups. I'm telling you, man. It's yeah. going to be the next thing. Put them in your car, block your vision and uh, then let, let them get aged with with sunlight constantly on them. Yeah, exactly. But also one of the things that led Ty to his success and as he gets more and more successful, this has less and less to do with his success. But at the start, it was he was incredibly frugal, always finding a way to cut corners financially, always finding a way to save a buck. Um, this extends to his relationships with friends. For instance, there was uh, a married couple that he worked with that he became friends with who had a young daughter, and he picked up the daughter one day to take her to ice cream. She loved hanging out with him. He always had toys for her and stuff. He picks her up in a Rolls Royce. They start driving to the ice cream place. When they get to the down the street, he asks asked the little girl who's about five at the time oh did your mom give you money and when she said oh no God. he takes her back home in his rolls royce to get the fucking <laughs> like what in the 70s like what like 50 cents the, the for nickel. some ice cream yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah so that that that's kind of his thing but he was incredibly cheap and incredibly strict about his sales methods so Ty began designing his own products, taking what he thought was wrong with Dakin products and improving them in order to create a superior toy. The product developers at Dakin were uninterested in his ideas, so he began to create toys and attempt to sell them himself to his Dakin clients. Some of these clients, however, reported his actions to Nazamian, and Ty was fired from his position. So top-selling guy, he's out-earning his boss in commissions on fucking toys. He used to wear fur coats and uh, wear a cane and top hat, by the way. 
away. And he would stroll oh into these toy stores and these toy right. fairs and stuff, like in like dressed like a fucking like super fucking like fly. Willy Wonka. Yeah, kind of like a yeah, like Willy Wonka. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, exactly. That was kind of his thing. But he gets fired. At the top of his his plush sales game. So shortly after his being fired, Ty's father resigned from his position and went into business with his son, making and selling ornate jewelry boxes. The father-son company fizzled out shortly after the concept was developed. While Ty and his father had a mutual respect for each other that allowed them to work together, their personal relationship left a lot to be desired, and that is what ultimately would end their working relationship. Um, there's lots of stories of, of this era of Ty's life because the dad eventually divorces his mom, who, again, was mentally ill. Ty really had a big problem with that. And um, because of his flirtatious nature and kind of the ego he was developing, there's lots of stories of him trying to seduce his dad's new girlfriends uh, away. Oh from his dad God. sometimes succeeding so there's so like this power creepy, play he's, yeah power play he's, creepy he's father son thing. yeah yeah so it's like i mean the thing about most incredibly successful businessmen is that they usually kind of follow this path it's like narcissistic incredibly ambitious really viewing people as like what is your value to me in this case are you if you're a man can you help me make more money if you're a woman will you have, sex, have with sex with you <laughs> yeah, exactly. yeah exactly that's it so he's just he's you're seeing the world in just ter in terms of like what's the dollar sign how can i cut up this piece of steak you know it, it, exactly yes but that's the story all around all the way around with so like and, and again he had failed <laughs> he had failed several times you know and the big chip on his shoulder was that his dad hired him you know and that's what kind of starts this path to success and again he had problems with his dad you know on, on a personal level so he creates this story of being the traveling vacuum salesman who happens to throw dirt on the right carpet one day right. uh you know so on and so forth it's in, all instead of like daddy to, got me a job you know. Exactly. Yes. So whilst battling increasing depression, Ty struck up a business relationship with Pascal Capra, designing and selling music boxes. The two often argued about the structure of the business. Ty insisted on keeping prices incredibly low, believing that the lower the price, the more orders they would get. Capra, citing the scarcity of the materials needed to make the boxes, argued that the price needed to be higher. This business, much like the one he started with his father, ended without any success, any sales. They barely got off the ground um, just because of ground level differences in how to build a business. Um, but we'll see that Ty kind of had the right idea with, uh, you know, keep the prices extremely mm -hmm. low and you'll sell more. Now, never forgetting mm -hmm. his first money making love, plush toys, Ty worked day and night developing what he believed would be a revolution new product a quality of plush toy never before seen but not exceeding the price points of any of his competitors one faithful day in the early 1980s ty approached his neighbor patricia roche to inquire about using the library at the community college she attended for research the research he was referring to was finding loopholes in manufacturing and patent laws Ty had discovered a little-known patent for synthetic fur developed during World War II in Japan and was trying to find a way to make a similar product or a way to produce that product at a much lower cost through Korean factories. There's all sorts of international manufacturing laws as far as, well, this patent's for this country. We can only produce it here, uh, things like that. So he was finding ways to get around that to get this softest, thinnest, strongest synthetic fur that was developed right. for Japanese soldiers in World War II to line their coats with. Like, it's just right. fucking crazy. You but know? still, like, but keeping the price point as low as possible. As low as but possible still, with the highest but quality. Still, exactly. So, I mean, the other thing is, like, addition to the narcissism and the insane competition is there, I mean, you have to fail 
he and you fail numerous times but then you're then what are you doing with your free time you're fucking at the library looking up Japanese patent manufacturing <laughs> patent laws. Yeah, I mean, he, I mean, in so Ty's defense, he is busting his ass, and we're gonna say all sorts of nasty shit about Ty Warner, uh, H. Ty Warner, I should say. Um, but you know, at the at the very end of this uh, three part, hopefully three part series, we'll tell you all these good things that he had done too. But right now, we're just gonna focus on the matter at hand. So while working on the music boxes, Ty had seen some elaborate stuffed cat toys on a business trip to Italy. He was so impressed with the craftsmanship, he decided that they were the perfect toys to jumpstart his new company. In 1983, there was little to no reason to start a plush toy company, but with his new synthetic fur, carefully selected eyes, and attention to every detail, Ty Incorporated was born. His first product, a white cat called Cashmere, named after his favorite Led Zeppelin song. All right, let's just start with the fact that this is a ripoff toy. He saw it overseas. He brought it back over, found a cheaper way to make it, but still put in tons of effort making sure it was the best stuffed cat that you could get. The best ripoff. Cat. Yeah, the, yeah, the best ripoff. And that's going to be a common theme that, that we're going to see. But now also in 1983, his father died. And according to his relatives, he didn't notify, Ty didn't notify anyone for about five days. And when his, when his mom and sister came to the house after he finally told them, all the antiques and valuables and stuff had been cleared out uh, mysteriously. Jesus. Yeah. So just like scumbag. Um, and But his father left him a large sum of money. Uh, some say it was 50000 Some say it was upwards of 200000 dollars and that's what he put towards Thai ink and he created the famous Thai ink logo which is the letters ty within a heart which in all heart. of his colleagues yeah, but, said it but, seems really cute it's excellent marketing but it's a self-serving gesture and they all kind of laughed right. when they saw that it's like oh like his name in a heart and like yeah. that's his big thing but to be fair Thai is like not you know say as common as the name is like jacob and like right. so it Ryan it, yeah <laughs> I didn't know that you know I didn't know it was his name so Me it just, it's a word anyone can pronounce it so it is pretty genius in that sense like just tie you just think tie it's just like a yeah it's just a thing you an utterance a very easy syllable to pronounce but so. it's also like this snotty like kind of hipster thing you can do where it's like when someone's like oh yeah ty beanie babies you're like <laughs> you mean ty beanie babies oh yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, totally get it wrong too like yeah, yeah and i mean i'll be honest like i didn't fucking know and i had keep in mind folks i, don't I had so many beanie babies my grandma got really into the boom and would go on what she called quests to locate all of them so i had all of the <laughs> top tier beanies that were probably that we probably could have sold at the time for quite a bit of money and they are in a storage unit in a big fucking Tupperware bin, not doing jack shit, but collecting dust. Well, uh, don't make sure those tags are intact. Th they're all in tag protectors. Uh, and we're going to get to that, too, uh, in part two, the tag protectors and all the accoutrement. But yeah. we're getting ahead of ourselves. So he taught Roche everything he knew about the toy business. And the two began attending trade shows and making house calls to mom and pop gift shops. A unique characteristic of the toys was that they were stuffed with PVC pellets and were understuffed, allowing the toys to be posed in a vast array of positions that plush toys had never been able to do. Like, for instance, when you get a teddy bear, that teddy bear, the shape of it is the teddy bear understuffing it's, it's allows manipulation stuffed yeah right. it's completely stuffed so it's 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 not rigid but it's just like that's why the you know the teddy bear its arms are always going to be out at the same angle exactly and then and then that's where beanie babies comes from is the the pellets yeah they're kind of like, it's like bean bag beans as opposed right. to you just stuff it with like cotton or whatever it is that gives it that really soft 
you know, exactly sensation of like the yeah your classic teddy bear or whatever. And, and what he would so he do- is cha- he is changing the product too. He's kind of totally introducing a completely different product. Well, and the cats again, like we're not on beanies yet, but he's doing these stuffed cats that again, if you look at them, these are really nice stuffed animals. Like they're they're but he paid so much attention to detail on them. He would groom them himself before they would be shipped out or be displayed at, at a, at a convention or anything like that. But also with the cats, the PVC pellets were mostly just in the paws, which would allow them to like sit and stuff while the body had traditional stuffing. And mm-hmm. he would, he was, he's pretty much considered to be the king of toy conventions and, and gift shows because he was so good at displaying them. He was such a, a slick tongue salesman and he would do things like rather than just selling to uh, toy stores, he would find, for instance, if it's at a gift show where they have all the stuff that would be in like a Hallmark store or airport stores or hospital gift shops mm-hmm. or what have you. Like there was one guy who had a quilt business and he sold these really nice quilts. And so Ty walks over with this cat and he drops it on one of the display quilts and he's like, doesn't that look nice? Like you could probably mm-hmm. sell these these two boom that guy puts in a huge wow. order for these cats which then help sell right, the quilts right. blah 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 but um one thing that's important about this whole story is the toy fair the toy fair is that's what it's called it's the biggest annual convention for toy salesmen ever there's strictly no children allowed at the toy fair even on your tickets <laughs> on the back it's printed like if you bring your child there is no child care you are not allowed to bring them within the premises save yourself the embarrassment and just leave them at home it literally says it and like that harsh because you have all these big wigs these multi-million dollar companies walking around the last thing they want are kids running around checking out all these new toys right. and kids can't keep their fucking mouth shut so then all these industry right. secrets They've are going to be out yeah. yeah, spill the beans, spill the beanies. Yeah, <laughs> it, it, exactly. But Ty, interestingly enough, he still participates in the toy fair himself because it's a way for him to, you know, sign autographs and take pictures with people and kind of get some more of that attention. Because we'll find out later that he's fairly, uh, he's a pretty quote like private, reclusive type person, despite how big his company got. So the first order for Cashmere's was from a Chicago toy store called Beauty and the Beast for $200. But later that year at a trade show in Atlanta, they sold a reported $30,000 worth of toys in an hour. And being the frugal businessman that he was and is, Ty was operating out of his condo until neighbors began to complain about the constant loading and unloading from large UPS trucks at all hours of the day and night. Again, his... His condominium is just filled with boxes of these stuffed animals that he himself right. are polishing the eyes, blowing out the hair with you know hair dryers, all that stuff because he was the so home involved. As a, so the the house, the apartment is acting as like the retail. inventory warehouse kind of thing you know everything and at this point in time it's it's just him and patricia roche and i I believe they had a couple other kids that they would hire like for the trade shows but for the most part the inner workings it's just ty and and roche so warner's attention to detail and obsession with perfection bled into every aspect of the business and his life he would berate his employees at trade shows over the positions of the toys heads in front of potential clients he would also personally personally visit most of the stores carrying his product all over the country and would insist on counting the inventory himself by hand, adjusting the displays himself. And this is a guy making lots of money already at this point, but he was mm. just such a perfectionist. And that again is a common theme that's going to run throughout this whole series. Right. I mean, I, I heard that he would spend sometimes hours just readjusting the, the, the beanies he would. like on, on a display until it was just perfect. 
He so was spending yeah, and, hours just tweaking it, move the move the hand a little bit more. And, and we'll know. see when we get into the actual Beanie Babies that carries on with that, and that kind of helped fuel this collector's market, um, just because he's co- like constantly tweaking and changing things, you know, to fit this perfect mold uh, that he had in his head. So Ty was increasingly concerned with his designs being stolen or copied, despite the fact that his debut product was essentially a direct copy of toys he had seen overseas. At trade shows, he was particularly paranoid, often hiding his products from people he considered to be his top competitors. He even went so far as to include an unorthodox warning on the 1989 Thai Inc. catalog, which said, and I quote, Warning, if anyone dare copy our creative designs or patents without written permission, ownership of your eternal soul passes to us and we have the right to negotiate the sale of said soul. Furthermore, oh my God. I, yeah. Furthermore, our attorneys will see to it that life on earth as you know it is not worth living. We're talking about Jesus. stuffed animals. We're not yeah, talking like, about bioweapons or fucking cars or microchips. We're talking about stuffed cats. <laughs> Imagine a kid getting that and being like, like, mommy, daddy, like, what does this say? Like, what does that mean? <laughs> yeah, just uh, nothing. But we better return this toy. We don't want to take any risks. But not every toy company was competition for him. And he wasn't even competing for slots at big stores. Uh, it was gift stores and impulse buy markets that he was looking into getting into. Like, again, Hallmark stores, hospital gift shops, airport stores was a big, big thing for him. Because it's people are going, let's, you know, if we sell a bunch of shit at the airport in, say, Atlanta, we know that. Each toy we sell is going to then fly to a different state or a country or what have you. And it's all about that quick buy. And he made his toys so cheap that, like, really, even if a kid is begging you, like, most parents wouldn't have too good of a reason to say no, you know, because they, the price right. point was so it's, low. It's four bucks, five bucks, whatever. But now this is one of my favorite things when he gets all paranoid at the trade shows and he would like stand in front of his cats or like hide like the really good ones. He was mostly concerned about Russ Berry, who was the creator of trolls and troll dolls. Well, tr- I mean, they were big. They were big, but they're what big. does troll like? They're not going to copy you, dude. Like Russ Berry is not looking for a stuffed cat with weighted paws. Like, yeah, you know, but-, but I guess like, but if you're like, you're like, again, the kid, you're like, Hey, I want a toy. And like, you know, maybe the parents are like, well, only pick one. You can either have the Beanie Baby or the Troll. You know right. what I mean? So right. I, I see it's not the exact same, but in the genre of toys, it's like handheld. It's cute. Yeah, you know, it's they're small. Kind of the same size. Yeah. And they have it, you know, at like the Hallmark stores and stuff like that. Again, these, these or weren't- maybe Russ Berry was just he was hitting on Ty's girlfriend all the time or whatever fucking weird <laughs> alpha business bullshit they were doing i mean if anything russ berry needed to hide the trolls from ty you know <laughs> yeah like that's that's like the whole thing but also another thing that ty would do at this time is he would pay freelance designers um sometimes as little as just a couple hundred bucks for their toy designs and then once he bought them and owned the design he would erase their names from them and like the they wouldn't get any credit because legally he didn't have to give it to them. And then with his name on the tag, it just kind of, you know, it's like having C's candy. It's like, well, I mean, it's C's is candy. It's Ty's toy, you know? Geez. Like where have I heard that before? Yeah. Like, <laughs> every, yeah. Fucking A. Every fucking where. Exactly. <laughs> now, as demand for his cats grew, Ty began assessing his business model and making changes that would eventually give birth to Beanie Babies. 
Having personally groomed and quaffed all of the dolls themselves, Ty and Patricia decided to make smaller toys called Beanie Bunnies that were all little rabbits. Uh, this was in order to save time on prepping the toys for sale or display. The smaller toys also allowed them to charge less and be sold for less, making the orders bigger, making them easier to stock on shelves, and also decrease shipping costs. It's fucking genius. And again, when you think of what a Beanie Baby is, it fits in your hand. It is a relatively small stuffed animal. It's not in the tradition of, say, a Dakin product, like a teddy bear or a big stuffed giraffe or like a licensed toy, like an Ewok stuffed toy from Star Wars or any of that stuff. These are very tiny, and that was kind of what people knocked it for at first. And also the fact that they were understuffed, it would allow you to stack more on a shelf. But he never wanted to sell to Toys R Us, Walmart, Target, any of these big retailers because he felt that it would kind of like deter people from it because it would make them seem cheap. If there's like a giant bin of them in the store and it's the cheapest toy in the right. store, you know, next to all these other things, he's like, no, let's just have these be like cutesy things in these like gift shops where people buy like Hummels and like precious and moment very, dolls. Yeah. And they're like on a glass display case and very nicely presented. So, I mean, he had a very good concept of like what the product was going to look like to the public. Exactly. The presentation. Exactly. And, and, you know, there's, there's the other thing where he had this philosophy where, you know, I could have 50 people selling like 50 different accounts that are all have their own fan base, all have their own customer base, and that will keep us flush. Or we could just have Toys R Us, but they're just going to order a huge amount and we might not hear from them for until as long as it takes them to sell everything. So he really had kind of this right idea. He also had very low um, like minimum orders and very low maximum orders. So you could only get little bits at a time. Now, Ty Inc. somehow managed to survive the 1980s, an era not kind to plush toy manufacturers. By 1992, the company was earning $6 million annually. This is impressive for several reasons, but one of the most important to consider is the fact that Ty kept his line of products relatively small. While Dakin, then his biggest competitor, had over 600 products in their line, Ty Inc. only had about 25. Ty also never changed his retail or wholesale price points until the fucking end from start to finish. Another interesting business method of his was to co always collect payment up front so he was never waiting for money to come in. Everything was paid for and there was no debt no matter how small or temporary it might have been. For instance, if he He's sells... A gangster. Yes, yeah, fuck you, pay me. Yeah, with his fucking fur coat and his cane and his Rolls Royce. The cane's got a little a blade. He, like, pulls it out and there's a blade in it. Yeah, Patricia Roche's just on his arm like, hey, daddy. But, like, <laughs> yeah, there's a whole lot of shit going on here. But, again, it's this thing where if Toys R Us orders, say, 50,000 units from you, that's great. But they're not going to pay up front. They're going to do, you know, it's going to be consignment. And you're going to have to wait to get the other half of your money until it's all sold. By only selling, say, 12 12 to you know 24 beanie babies or now at this point beanie bunnies to these stores they're able to pay for it up front and he's never waiting for a payment he knows exactly how much money's coming in for exactly what he's putting out it's kind of genius and that and you can't right. really do that with toys yeah yeah absolutely now, as their business grew, so did the personal relationship between Warner and Roche. The two began dating and were soon in a deeply committed relationship, a relationship filled with jealousy, physical abuse, financial manipulation, and borderline stalking. I'm going to strike that. Uh, not borderline. Stalking. Just straight up stalking. <laughs> Just straight, up, straight up stalking. Yes. Well, you know it, what gets my loins all fired up is making money. Yeah. Making money with one other person. 
Yeah. That's just like, that's always, it's a, it's a classic, you know, we just started well, making he, a lot again, of money together. He was super flirtatious. Talking. He was very flirtatious. He was very charismatic. He knew what he was doing. And, you know, he would woo a lot of women, including this, like his earliest business partner in the Thai Inc. empire. And you know, she often wondered <laughs> how much that came from his mother, like, 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 or how much of his weird eccentricities and his temper and stuff came from his mother. Because the one time that he brought Patricia to meet his mom, she instantly started yelling at her for being a whore and like spitting on her carpet at her and stuff. And then telling her that, listen, Ty is running drugs through his stuffed animal company. He's putting cocaine in those and shipping them. And he's a criminal. And there, and she's just like, Whoa, what the fuck? And then Ma. that day, the mom leaves for a second, steps out and steals his fucking car. Never to be seen again for several years. Oh my God. Yeah. Well, I mean, but she did have a, a later diagnosed schizophrenia. So, I mean, yeah, I'm sure that would affect you as a child to like witness that or, you know, have, you know, right. It's crazy stuff, but it's funny. Cause you just, you kind of had a little good fellows. Fuck you pay me. And I was just imagining Warner and Roche, just like, <laughs> like the scene of good fellows when he's like cutting the Coke with his girlfriend. Oh yeah. But instead of Coke, it's like, they're PVC like separating pellets. beans. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Yeah, he just snorts one just to see what it's like. Uh, you know. So let's get to some of the negative things about the relationship really quick. Towards the end of their, their romantic relationship, which, again, the rise and fall of their business relationship and romantic relationship kind of, like, parallel each other. They kind of rise and fall at the same exact time. Go figure. Um but one of the things that happened was towards the end, they were both seeing different people. Neither one really had a problem with that, but it was like an out of sight, out of mind thing. But out of nowhere, Ty kind of turned heel and was like, well, no, you're seeing this guy and blah, blah, blah. And he would like drop in on her unexpected. And she went with a date to Cancun. Uh, shout outs to our last hey, episode. Cancun. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Woo. And, uh, and there's a knock at their door in their hotel room. Room service. Uh, we didn't order any room service. Uh, compliments of the house. Open up the door. It's fucking Ty standing at the door in another yeah, country. That, Followed that, her there. I think that's stalking. That, that, yeah, that's, that's not, not borderline. borderline. <laughs> <laughs> that's why I had to strike it. But this is another fucked up thing. So Roche, by, at this point, was making about $200,000 a year in a commission-based salary. Once Ty was really crunching the numbers when they really started picking up, he realized how much she was taking home, and he tried to knock her down to $50,000 a year flat rate, no commission. So literally taking That's, three quarters yeah. of your fucking your life, like your, your, your fucking salary. I almost said inventory. What the fuck? Too much toy no, talk. But no, yeah, but... Exactly. I mean, that is a sign that a relationship is souring. I mean, almost always you're like you work for a while and then you get a raise. Like, if yes. it's like we can't pay you as much. Things yeah. aren't going well. Yeah, but it's like, no, things are going so well that he's like, whoa, 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 whoa. I'm paying you. How, like, you're making well, how yeah, much on sales? But it's like, again, that's a commission-based <laughs> salary. So it's not like he's just, like, writing his girlfriend these big checks. She's fucking earning that. You right, know what I mean? Right. Like, no one tried to knock him down a fucking peg at Dakin when he was making more than the CEO in commission. What fucking got him fired well, was him fired getting him. too big for his britches. You <laughs> right, know, and trying exactly. to sell his own toys to the clients that he already had. So Warner and Roche both came equipped with a series of neuroses, but Warner seemed to 
work themselves out in increasingly negative behavior. The romantic relationship between the two business partners began to wane, and the two were regularly seeing other people. The relationship ended both romantically and professionally right before what would be the most important moment in the history of plush toys. And that is where we're going to leave you this week. Next week, we will have part two of the Beanie Baby Saga. Part two is definitely the meat of the sandwich, but we had to give you the backstory here. This this madman coming into his own. This is the origin story, if if mm-hmm. you will. This is uh this is like a Joker as opposed to uh, Dark Knight Rises. <laughs> you know, this is this is like Bruce Wayne is a child here. Joker is like just getting into his own. So. Next week, yeah, t- tune in for, for the continuation. Make sure you guys you know, subscribe to our Patreon for all sorts of fucking bonus content, dozens of extra episodes, lots of videos. We're going to post lots of Beanie Baby stuff. We just posted tons and tons of spring break stuff uh, involving last episode. So check that out at patreon.com slash culture dumps. Check us out on social media, on Instagram, at culture dumps. And if you have a suggestion, comment, question, concern, any of that kind of stuff, make sure you send us an email over at culture dumps at gmail. Com. I'm Ryan Lichten. And I'm Parks Miller. And if you ate it up, we dump it out. Here's a quick lesson on this beanie craze. A company called Ty makes them, releases them with different names. They're all named after something, an animal, an animal, basically. They haven't done like fungus. Yeah.